Hey, everybody. Before we start the show this week, Mike and I wanted to say that with all the injustice continuing to plague the black community, we can no longer stay silent and ignorant. We're committing to becoming better allies, and we're planning an upcoming episode about what we've learned so far. If you'd like to join us in becoming a better ally, check out Justice in June, a resource guide to becoming a better ally by Autumn Gupta and Brianna Wallace. We'll include a link to it in our website and in the show notes this week. In the meantime, to everyone in the black community, we see you, we hear you, and we stand with you. Okay, on to the episode. Mom's favorite, even with Animal Crossing. Nice. I mean, terrible. your house did have one room, and you <laughs> had stuff outside of it. Oh, yes. Yeah. Like all, all, all the garbage all over it. I picked it all up. I don't know how to play the game. To the future! This is Mike. This is Steve. And we don't know what we're doing. This week, we don't know virtual educators. That's right. So we went out to find a virtual educator. We went to search the world far and wide to find my sister. Right. We didn't search very far, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I mean, it was kind of far. She's in Colorado. Yeah. But yeah, I think this is a good episode to have. Um, we've been trying to get back into recording since we've been at home for the pandemic. We actually recorded this episode just about a month ago when everything first started getting kind of crazy. Since then, we've kind of put things on hold. But now that the school year is coming to an end, uh, we thought this episode would be good to kind of clean up and get out there so everybody can understand things from kind of a teacher's perspective and see how virtual education is going and where it might be headed in the future. Yeah, totally. So the special guest is my sister, Nicolette Vandalinder. Um, she's a public school teacher in Colorado. She's, um, you know, sharing what it's like to be a school virtual school teacher. And she has some tips and tricks for parents and for students. And um, she also talks about how she's helping the non-virtual teachers, like, ramp up and, you know, actually get the job done. So that was really interesting. Yeah. And I think you'll see there are some helpful tips in here for parents, too, to understand, you know, put yourselves in a frame mind of a kid, of these students that are having to get pushed into this world kind of suddenly and give each other uh, a bit of a break. Yeah, totally. And well, uh, should we get into it? Yeah, let's get into it. All right, here we go. Hello. Hello. Hey. Hey. Got it. Yes, we finally got it. Thanks for joining us on the call today. Very excited to have you here. I'm excited to be here. Yay. Is this the first time we've interviewed you? Yes, this is the first time you've asked me to be on your podcast. <laughs> so we kind of want to talk about like virtual teaching because that's what you do, right? Yeah. So I am a exclusively online teacher. I don't go into a classroom. I don't go into a school. I teach from the luxury of my home. So is there a difference between like online teachers and virtual teachers or is that kind of used synonymously now? Those are pretty much synonymous, unless you're talking about like the news starting, you know, a couple of months ago, mm -hmm. where all teachers had to become online teachers. Mm -hmm. 
So it's a little bit different today. I am technically a virtual educator because an online teacher is any of the public school teachers who used to be at the brick and mortar schools mm -hmm. who are now kind of forced to go online. Oh, okay. Yeah. So how long have you been doing this now? Um, so this is my first year doing it. So I started in August of this year, this past year. Mm -hmm. And so you're like already prepped to be virtual as like your job because you don't have to be like, oh my God, how do I do this? Because you've already been trained to do this. Yeah, we changed literally not at all. Once all of the quarantine stuff happened, we literally did nothing really to change anything because this is all what we were doing already. Yeah. How'd you get into the online teaching? So I actually, my master's is in information and learning technology. And so I wanted to do something that had a little bit more technology involved in it. And I actually saw a posting for my current job. I found it on one of the teacher job sites. And I thought, oh, online teaching would be great because then I can just stay home. I don't have to worry about snows and blizzards. Mm -hmm. I don't have to worry about you know, traffic and getting over to the school. Um, and especially we don't have to worry about violence at our school because it's entirely online. And so I went in for an interview and they were really excited to have me on, on their team uh, as a first year teacher, but also because I had so much experience with technology, they thought that it would be a very, very smooth transition. And so I decided to pick the online school world instead of going to a physical school building. So is this something that they're like trying out in a school district there? Or is this like a different route of education that students can opt into? So I actually work for a, a nationwide organization that does this in every single state almost. And so it is a public school option. So we're not a private school. You get to go for free. And there's actually three from our specific company that is in Colorado, but we have them in literally every state. And they've been going for about 15 years. Oh, wow. Hmm. That's cool. So like, Nick, what what are your, like, who's your target student? Is is it like home typical people who would have like typically been schooled by their parents at home? Or is the target student more broad to something else? It's a little bit more broad broad it is mostly students who for various reasons can't go to a public school like a normal public school mm -hmm. because of disabilities because of their family situation because we actually have quite a few professional athletes and so they can't do normal school because they can't physically go to school so they do it asynchronously with us huh. so they can kind of choose whatever time they want to go to school that's super interesting that's cool Interesting. Yeah. I would assume that this is like something that uh, child actors who are really busy on set, I bet this is a route that they're opting into now too. Absolutely. This is exactly the kind of thing that they do. We have a lot of kids who have jobs. And so they have school after they have their job. A lot of them are also rural. So they work on their parents' farms. And so they have to have school at really specific strange times. Hmm. So since, you know, now that all these students, millions of students, you know, worldwide now are in like lockdown and quarantine and everything because of the, the virus, have you guys been seeing like an uptick in enrollment for, for your classes? 
So we don't, because we are a public school, we don't accept people mid-semester, mm -hmm. but our projections for enrollment next year are off the charts. Oh my gosh. Like we're going to have to basically double our staff. That is what we were expecting. We opened up our enrollment last month and we saw just sort of the normal traffic. And then uh, two weeks ago, it got really intense. We started getting a ton of kids applying for and registering for our school in general. Mm. Because I think a lot of the parents think that if this sort of thing is going to keep happening, mm -hmm. I don't want to have to deal with it. I'm just going to enroll them in online school. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. So, Nick, what made you choose going into teaching as a career? Oh, I've kind of always wanted to be a teacher. I, re I specifically remember in third grade, I kind of decided I wanted to be a teacher. I like learning and I like... Uh, kind of lifelong learning. And I thought that that would be just a really fun way to uh, kind of just change up the normal day-to-day -day routine. I don't have to sit at a desk doing the whole, the same thing every single day. I don't have to, you know, just sit there and fill out spreadsheets. I don't have to go to super, super long meetings. I get to have my days be different every single day. And I picked history just because I kind of liked the storytelling element of history. I think it's interesting to try and kind of delve into primary sources and the story of history because it is constantly changing and constantly evolving. So you said there was like a, a time in third grade that you knew that you're going to be a teacher. Was there like a specific moment? Yeah. So I actually had a, a specific teacher. I had a teacher in third grade. He was great. We typically only had like lady teachers. And so he was one of the few males in the entire building, actually. And he was just so fun and so amazing. And I decided that I wanted to do that. I wanted to be that amazing, cool teacher for other kids. That's awesome. That is awesome. Can you share like what grade and some of the subjects you're teaching currently? Sure. So currently I am teaching sixth, seventh and eighth grade. So I'm teaching social studies. So in sixth grade, that's called world studies. It's more focused on geography. In seventh grade, I'm teaching world history. So we start in the way, way back. We literally start from cavemen and go all the way up to about the Middle Ages. And then in eighth grade, you have American history. So we're doing all of the discovery of America up until about 9-11. How is it teaching, you know, like at that age, kids are kind of like rambunctious and stuff. How is it kind of trying to wrangle students online? Is it difficult or or have they gotten into a kind of a groove? At the very beginning of the year, I think a lot of them didn't quite know what to expect. And they didn't realize how much responsibility online school is because you do have to go to online school. You have to open up your computer. You have to get ready. You have to have your notebooks and your books, your textbooks, all of the stuff you need to just have with you. So I think a lot of them were not quite prepared for the amount of responsibility it was. But this far into the year, they're doing awesome. So when I think back to like my time in a traditional classroom up through, you know, high school, it was reading aloud in the classroom. And then in high school, it was a lot of lectures or, or looking at slideshows and stuff like that. And then kind of writing papers on it. Is it the same kind of thing virtually or is it more like like college university, like lecture style? Um, so it kind of is either. 
we at like as a middle school teacher you don't want to just lecture at them they are 13 and they're not going to pay attention yeah Uh, but i do have presentations i put videos in there we have activities the system that we use we actually can create breakout rooms so we can Mm. kind of divide up all of the students into groups basically like grouping their desks together Mm -hmm. and you can have them go on the internet and find things and research things and then come back. Uh, Every teacher kind of does it differently, but the way that our classes are set up, you can actually import a PowerPoint, a slideshow, whatever you're kind of using. You can actually import that into our program and then they can download it. They can look at it themselves or they can see it on our kind of virtual whiteboard. I also have a drawing tablet connected to my laptop so that I can kind of do notes and drawings all over that presentation. And I have blank slides where I can actually give the students the ability to write on our blackboards Mm. and things like that. So it kind of depends. Definitely a lot more engaging in middle school because Mm -hmm. they would not be able to kind of tolerate just lectures and lectures and lectures. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, for sure. So you're talking about the technology, and one of the questions I wanted to ask was, what kind of technologies do you use? And it sounded like uh, similar to Zoom has a breakout room. So, um, I know we use that at work. Um, so what other technology are you using in your classes to teach students? So we've used Zoom mostly for kind of inner faculty meetings mm-hmm. because it's a lot more important to like be able to see everybody and hear everybody and everybody can be trusted on the cameras <laughs> uh, because we're all adults. But for the students, we actually have kind of totally different online learning systems. So we have partnered with kind of a Google app in a way um, to kind of use a specified kind of specialized Google Classroom. (laughs) This is something that's really, really popular in public schools is the Google Classroom. And so we use kind of a really specialized version of that to just put up all of the information for the semester. Mm -hmm. Because the students aren't just coming to live classes, they actually have to go and do their online schooling. So they actually go into all of our different chapters, all of our different units, and they have things that they have to do. So they actually have workbooks, they have textbooks, and they are kind of required to go through all of the lessons and also go to live classes. Our school and uh, the entirety of our sort of online schooling family, we actually have a system that is being developed exclusively for us for next year. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have a totally different system next year. And hopefully it'll work a little bit better than the one that we have now. That's exciting. <laughs> is there a like a virtual homeroom for kids? Because I know in high school we had like a homeroom. I think in middle school too we did. Yeah, we absolutely have homeroom. We have homeroom. We have clubs. Um, we actually have partners with some of the local schools to give them sports and things too. So if they actually want to go and like play football, mm-hmm. they can go to a local high school and play football. But yeah, we have clubs, we have homeroom, we have office hours, we have study hall, we have all of that same sort of stuff. That's really interesting because I think that's been one of the uh, you know big concerns from parents who are now thrust into this whole thing with with you know forced virtual learning. What the the virus happening is, I think parents are really concerned about kids losing that aspect of you know social interaction with other students that, you know, parents are so familiar with from actually being in a physical school. So it's really cool to hear that you guys are taking steps to make that a a thing 
digitally too. Oh yeah, because that's so important for development too. Like kids have to interact with other kids. Otherwise, they're never going to learn the proper social skills and things like that, too. Mm, yeah. So you definitely want to create opportunities for them to actually, you know, chat with each other and make friends outside of class. Mm, yeah. Before you got this role, before you were actually in classroom, is that correct? Uh, yes. So what are some of the differences, like the fundamentals other than like being virtual and in classroom? The biggest difference is definitely classroom management. I have almost zero of that on online classrooms mm -hmm. because I don't have to constantly tell kids like, hey, pay attention, stop talking, um, because I have control over all of that thing, all of those things for them. So we actually have a chat on the side, and that's mostly how the kids are talking to each other and how they're talking to me. Mm -hmm. A lot of these middle school kids do not want to be on mic, so they mostly <laughs> just go on and chat. And I can individually turn off all of those options for any kid. So <laughs> classroom management is incredibly easy. It is uh, really just a couple of clicks away. There is no real issues there because if any of the students get distracted by the chat or by video or anything, they can hide it themselves too. Beyond that, um, the kind of other big difference is I know the parents really, really well of all of these kids. Mm. As our online school, we have an expectation to make 20 calls a week. So I actually call 20 different kids' parents every week. So I actually know all of these parents. Wow. How, how many kids are you teaching total right now? So I teach 148 kids currently. Whoa. Wow. That's crazy. So you said you were teaching three classes, right? Is it broken up like split evenly or? They're split fairly evenly. We tried to split them about in half uh, by last name. So we actually have like group A and group B. And so I'll have classes with group A and then I'll have classes with group B for each and every one of those grades. So I'm curious, how are the how are the classes made up? Because, you know, obviously in physical school, it's made up by just proximity you are to the physical location. So how how are these classes, you know, divvied up demographically? Like, you know, I know I know you live in, in Colorado. Are, are you teaching students nationwide or are they kind of in your area or how does that work? So I have to have kids who live currently in Colorado. I teach kids from all the way up north in Greeley. I teach kids from the mountain towns over by like Aspen and Keystone. I teach kids from Colorado Springs, from people all the way out almost to Wyoming. So the only real demographic there is that you have to live in Colorado because we are a Colorado public school. Uh, yeah, We're actually course. accredited and kind of partnered with a physical Colorado public school. So that is kind of our contract that we only take Colorado kids. Got it. That's why there's so many of these online schools in every single state. That's really interesting too, like getting back to the kind of social aspect of it too, because I would imagine like, you know, if these kids make a bond virtually, being all in the same, you know, state, which is, you know, a big state, but still like semi-large, you know, area, these kids could theoretically meet up in person too if they if they were making that bond or that connection. We also give them that opportunity. So our teachers are also all over Colorado. I'm more centralized. I'm really close to Denver. But we have people all over the state who are our teachers. So we actually have in-person events all over the place. 
We went to the aquarium. We've gone to the Denver Museum of Nature and Science. We have uh, the zoo. We've gone to all kinds of different in-person activities. And if they're close by, a lot of these kids want to go to those. Hmm. What's that like when, you know, you've got this big virtual class of kids that have probably never met each other in person. And then you you go to to an activity like that. What's what's that vibe like? Is it is it exciting? Are the kids nervous? Are they shy? What's that been like? A lot of times they tend to be kind of shy, kind of more reserved. We have like any school, like any class, we have the like really boisterous, outgoing, vociferous kids who are so excited to meet everybody. And then you have the shyer kids who like, you know, have a lot more trouble making friends and things like that. And they actually mix pretty well. It's kind of fun being able to see them go, oh, oh, are you John? Oh, my God. <laughs> and they just get very, very excited because they're physically meeting each other. And then they share Snapchats and TikToks and all sorts of social media things, too. Now that they've actually met each other in person, that makes their connection a lot stronger. That's really cool. Yeah, that's super cool. So speaking of like the physical aspect of it, um, are there dances or any other things like that that they take part of? So, yes, we have homecoming and we have prom. What? Well, not this year <laughs> because oh, yeah. it was supposed to be this upcoming weekend. But we have uh, homecoming and prom. So we actually host two different homecomings and proms. We host one in kind of central Denver and then we host one down south, a little bit closer to Colorado Springs. And um, they're allowed to, you know, invite their dates. We get uh, parents as chaperones. We have themes. We actually rent out a hall and we have dances. That's really cool. That's great. I never would have thought about that. So in your experience as being a virtual teacher, what are some tips that you would like provide to some students to be successful in online learning? Um, the biggest one is definitely going to be treated exactly like your physical school because you have classes at certain times every single day. So they actually cycle through all of the classes like you would in a brick and mortar school. They go to science and math and English and their electives. And so really just treating it like an eight to three class is definitely going to help them out. Don't pretend that you know, oh, you just sort of push it off, procrastinate things. And definitely, if you can, go to those live sessions. It's definitely a lot more helpful for them. We do have a lot of asynchronous kids. Like I said, we have people who are busy all day. But just keeping up a consistent schedule, whatever that schedule is, is super important. Yeah, I think that's, um, you know, we've we've heard from a lot of friends who are dealing with their their kids being shoved into this virtual learning due to the virus. And I feel like that's one of the biggest things that they're struggling with right now is not only on the family side, but I think on the teacher side too, you know, these, you know, traditional schools aren't prepared for this. And so there's a lot of ad hoc sessions happening. Homework comes in as teachers get it ready and things like that. And so parents are confused in how to yeah, help them. Yeah. So it's interesting to see that, uh, you know, from a program that's been doing this for a while, like it can be done successfully and mm -hmm. it can be planned out to where it's a, a regular routine for kids. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And then a lot of the, I've actually been helping some of the schools around my area in Jefferson County. I've actually been helping out some of the public school teachers. So I actually, when this all first happened, when our governor said, you know what, all the schools are closed until at least April 30th, 
I actually volunteered to host some webinars on how to actually, you know, reasonably teach online with <laughs> very little experience, mm -hmm. with very little technology for a lot of these teachers. They have their one laptop that they have taken from the school mm -hmm. and it's 20 years old and it's terrible <laughs> and they don't have recording software. They don't have mics. And so I kind of was able to help them out with that. And I think it definitely a lot of these teachers who have been thrown into it are definitely trying to work a little bit too hard mm -hmm. and they need to really sort of take a couple of steps back and realize we are living in interesting times and they are not held to the same standard as they always have been. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's amazing. I didn't know you were doing that. Yeah, that's, that's really, really awesome. That's awesome that you were able to kind of get into the community and help help everybody out. That's really exciting. But I think that, but I also think that's a really good perspective that you're recommending to them too. Like, you know, a lot of the teachers who are in a traditional classroom setting, they shouldn't feel this pressure to immediately pivot and hit the ground running at a hundred miles an hour, you know, like at the, especially at the same rate that a program like what you're doing has been going. Cause you're right. This is a weird time and they need to give themselves some slack. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I also know, I just have teacher friends cause that's just kind of how it goes mm -hmm. because I was a teaching major mm -hmm. and some of those teaching friends, they're suddenly thrown into this online world and they're, having panic attacks and they're staying up till 1130 oh, and wow. I had to get quite a few of them together and just be like hey you are not going to be judged by how well you adapt to this nobody's going to get fired over not really understanding how to do school in the online world just take a couple of breaths stand back and realize what the kids need to know by the end of the year mm. and just focus on that mm. that's great advice mm -hmm. so where did you uh host these webinars did you do them online like are they saved or do you do them live or how did that work out? Um, so they were live on Zoom um, just because of kind of privacy issues. We couldn't record them mm -hmm. because they were a lot of dealing with real information from a lot of schools. And so we couldn't actually record them, but we did live webinars on Zoom. Have you done any more or been approached to do any more of those? Um, I was approached to do four. So I did that first one. And it went pretty well. We had a lot of the teachers then kind of, they had a plan in place, how they were going to be able to kind of integrate their classes into online learning. And then I also just shared a bunch of my stuff with them, uh, mostly the history teachers, because that's just what I have mm -hmm. is all of the history stuff. So I was trying to give them as many tools as possible for them to kind of succeed and try to, you know, outlive these next two months before we actually hit summer. So going back to what you said about um, like the teachers were working too hard, what are some examples of that? What were they doing that was, uh, you know, they were pushing some, themselves too hard? They were trying to have the students do everything that you would do in a normal school, but just at home. So they really needed to understand from a student's perspective these kids are not ready to go to online school. Right. Yeah. They could have big families. They could have siblings who are all also doing this. And they're all on the internet at the same time, especially with their parents probably working from home too. Mm -hmm. And so their bandwidth just can't stand it. Mm -hmm. So expecting a lot of live sessions from these kids is not going to work out because a lot of them are just not ready to do it mm -hmm. not all of them have computers either right so they really had to kind of brainstorm how to get the work to these kids 
who don't necessarily have computers or don't have home internet. And it's not like they could travel to the library anymore because everything is closed. Yeah. So they really had to figure out exactly what um, what really they needed to do, what really they needed to come up with. And for the most part, I was telling them, I'm like, okay, well, you know, if they don't have a computer, but you want them to, let's say, listen to audio recording or watch a video, almost all of these kids have phones. Mm-hmm. Make sure that they can access it on their phones. Make sure that they can access it on an iPad. They can uh, potentially have physical work, too. So a lot of times they actually mailed them, uh, you know, mm. packets and stuff like that and kind of mailing them resources because some of these kids just don't have internet or Mm -hmm. are just not able to get onto the internet because they have too many people in their house currently Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i always wonder about that like kids that don't have like the computers the internet the resources like how are they gonna overcome this yeah what initiatives or things are out there for them to Mm -hmm. like get those things that they really need we have some initiatives in colorado actually We had uh, Google actually donated quite a few Chromebooks Mm -hmm. to our state in general because we had such a big need. So a lot of the counties were actually kind of drawing up grants to try to get these free Chromebooks out to kids. And when this all first started, you could still like drive by school and pick up things. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times they would be kind of on the curb with their gloves and their masks and they would have kind of printouts they would have sort of worksheets and uh, outlines and they would hand them to the parents who were kind of driving by at first that kind of worked out pretty well for a lot of these kids Mm -hmm. and then we really had to have them just sort of mail it out we couldn't have everybody go into the school anymore so they had to shift to just mailing it which seems to have worked pretty well and it's interesting because a lot of these students they're not super, super motivated necessarily to do all of this work. Right. But they do want the structure of school. Interesting. They're not quite ready to go out to summer yet. They're not quite ready to kind of just abandon school altogether. And so at first we saw kids really not doing anything. Mm. Oh, wow. And then after a week or two, they're like, oh, well, well, I guess... I have nothing else to do. I've gotten bored of playing Fortnite. I got bored of playing Minecraft. I guess I'll do school. Funny. Wow. And so, yeah, we actually saw them increase their amount of work as time went on, which is interesting. Yeah. So, Nick, is this something, you know, I think you you mentioned um, that when this initial wave of closures happened, you know, a lot of the teachers were really stressed about trying to make sure everything happening in the physical classroom, they were trying to make sure that was happening in the virtual classroom as well. So now that, you know, it sounds like things are adapting a little bit better. Students are kind of getting up to speed. Is there, have you found that your, your friends, your teacher friends coming from a a traditional classroom, are they having anxiety about their students learning enough by the end of the year? They definitely are, especially the ones who are teaching like advanced placement classes Mm. or who are teaching juniors who are supposed to take the ACT or the SAT Mm -hmm. because all of that has gotten canceled. Mm. And so it's not necessarily that they're super worried about being ready for next year because this is happening to everybody. It's not like it's just happening to their school. It's happening to the entire world pretty much. Mm -hmm. So they really are not 
having a lot of anxiety over that necessarily, but definitely for some of these standardized tests that would be really, really important for their futures, they just don't have the ACT scores now. Right. They just can't take the SAT mm-hmm. because all of that has been canceled. So Nick, um, I know we kind of talked about tips about uh, being successful for the students, but what are your ideas or suggestions for parents to be kind of successful like navigating this new world that they're having to deal with, with their kids now online learning. Right. The parents also kind of need to realize that a lot of these kids, they know how to use the computer. They know how to use these programs. And a lot of times they're just pulling the parents' legs being like, oh, I don't know how to log on to that. I can't do this assignment. (laughs) And it's the exact same stuff that they had all year round. Mm -hmm. Like I had mentioned before, a lot of public schools are using Google Classroom. And so all of the teachers are just putting the stuff up on Google Classroom. And so the parents can just go onto the Google Classroom and kind of figure out exactly what their kids should be doing. Mm. (laughs) And really having them sit down from like eight to two or eight to three and just do school is definitely helping a lot with a lot of these kids. Just realizing that even though they're home, well, they're probably home and off doing work in, you know, the basement or whatever. It doesn't mean that the kids are just sort of on their own. They definitely need to check on them, make sure they're actually working. Because like I said, we got a lot of kids who wouldn't admit it, but they were just playing Fortnite or Minecraft the whole time and had (laughs) Zoom in another window. Yeah. So kind of checking over their shoulders occasionally making sure that they're just ready, that they have their books, they have their notebooks out, they have a designated working space. That's also really helpful. If the kids are going to class and doing all their work in their bedroom, like on their bed, they're not actually going to work very well. So if you have desks, if you have a kitchen table, anywhere where they can physically sit up, that's also going to be super, super helpful because then it kind of mimics what they would be doing in the classroom. Mm -hmm. So they're not just sort of lounging, They're not just, you know, going to fall asleep because they're working on their bed. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Making sure that you have like a space for doing work, you know, like school work and then a space for having play and sleep and all that stuff. Yeah. That's similar. Yeah. Similar to like work, virtual working. Right. We've had to do this similar stuff just working from home where we've, you know, we're trying to make sure that we work in certain places and then we, you know, lounge in other places. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And then also getting dressed, so that also tends to help get mm. them out of their PJs and get them into <laughs> real clothes. Mm. <laughs> yeah, have that mindset of oh well, I'm going to school. I yeah. should at least put on you know real pants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting this this world of um, virtual teaching. I think it's good to have this conversation though because it shows that virtual teaching can work. You know, I mm-hmm. think a lot of parents have a ton of anxiety right now about this doesn't work. Is my child learning? Is this the future? What are we going to do? And I think this conversation has really, you know, opened my eyes to like, it, not only can it work, because I assumed, yes, it can, but mm-hmm. it already is working. And, and there's a lot of, a lot of ways to, you know, make it just as successful as a traditional classroom. Yeah, it might not be for everybody, but it is available to everybody. Ooh, is there a virtual sc- uh, summer school, online summer school? So I do have online summer school. I'm actually teaching an online Are you really? uh, credit recovery. Yeah. For, for some of our for some are like juniors and seniors. Yeah. So I'm teaching the history one. Oh, cool. Because you nice. do still have to pass. You do still have to have a certain amount of credits to graduate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
even if you're not going to walk. You end up having to go to summer school. Yeah. Yeah. Is there virtual detention? Um, sort of. <laughs> really? Have, kind of. Yeah. Um, you actually can't go to normal class if you're in virtual detention. You actually are put with your counselor, and they uh, make you turn on your webcam, and they watch you as you work. Oh my God. No way. Really? <laughs> yeah. We don't have a lot of kids that end up doing it, but yeah. If you just like aren't doing anything and it's too far in the semester for us to make you go to a real school, like mm-hmm. a brick and mortar school, then you have to go to virtual detention, basically. Wow. Mm. Crazy. Yeah, I remember those days, the all day ones where you sat there and you had to do your work. Oh, do you, Mike? Yeah, just one time. Oh, just one time. Okay. <laughs> I bet your sister never had an all day. I detention. doubt she ever did. Did you ever go to detention when you were in high school? No, I yeah. don't even think I went to detention once, ever. <laughs> the, of course go- not. the golden child. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so is there any other parting words you'd like to share with the audience? <laughs> not really, just sort of uh, good luck. If you have kids in school, you'll get through it. There's not too terribly much more that you know how to do. Um, thank you so much for joining us, Nicolette. I really appreciate you coming on here to chat with us. Learned so much about you. Yeah, and I I can always talk about my job because, you know, it takes a lot of time out of my everything, so. All right, we'll let you go. I know you have exciting things to do on Sunday. All right, love y'all. Bye. Bye. Well, that was super informative. I didn't know that much about uh, virtual education. Yes, it was informative. (laughs) um it was great to chat with her and learn a little bit more about it because in all honesty like i don't know like the ins and outs of what she does and i learned a whole lot today Mm -hmm. so or yeah yeah i did too i think it's refreshing to see that it's a system that can work and i think a lot of the teachers around the world had a hard time getting into this virtual learning world but i think this really showed that it's something that can work and it does work and, you know, if this is something that we have to go back into again, like on mass, mm-hmm. then we'll be much more prepared for it the next time around. Yeah. So also it's been a month or so since we recorded this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like we've heard a lot from different parents. You know, I've heard my brother talking about how it's been tricky for them, you know, hearing that from their perspective, like dealing with the teachers who are don't know how to go unmute themselves of talking to the little kids and then the little yes. kids don't know how to mute themselves and they all want to talk to each other and wave at the camera. So, you know, Nick talked about classroom management. So I thought that was interesting hearing her perspective from like a junior high or high school level mm-hmm. versus some of the things that we've heard from the elementary the school kids. level, yeah. Yeah, the younger kids. Yeah, it was very interesting. Mm-hmm. I've also heard a lot of things from coworkers who are parents and, you know, Nick talked about, you know, you need to check in on your kids mm-hmm. throughout the day and parents have talked about like, that's a, a new stressor to them that they hadn't thought about, which is, you know, working from home, which has been fine when you have to do it before, but now you're working from home while your kids are at home mm-hmm. and you still have to get up early as a parent to get the kids breakfast and ready and situated for school before you go to work just like if you were driving them to school. Yeah. So, stuff and that you don't think about, you know? I've had uh, coworkers as well, like talking about like what they're doing and like mm-hmm. how, but they're basically a teacher now as well. Yeah. So they're putting, you know, not only their work 
work regular workload that they're working on, but mm-hmm. also like this teacher element of it, and you know, making sure that their kids are actually doing uh, the work, right. and checking in on them, and um, making sure they're accountable, mm-hmm. and you know, also like doing things like recess. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point too. Like, and and PE. Mm-hmm. You know, when you get, when you ship your kids off to school, like you know that they're going to get some kind of exercise every day, either recess or at PE or whatever. And now that you're home, like now that's up to a parent to make sure that they're they're getting that stuff done. Mm-hmm. So all kinds of stuff that you would never have thought about. So yeah. Be interesting to see uh how this goes. Maybe we should do a follow up and see like from a parent's perspective episode would be kind of interesting. Like I we like just that. heard from Nicolette. It'd be interesting to talk to some of the parents we know and see how they've done with this and what, what challenges have they learned. Yeah. Throughout like like middle school or like elementary, mm-hmm. middle and maybe high school. That could be really yeah, interesting. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, do we have what the facts this week, Mike? We do. It's kind of a, not so much a what the, but it is a facts okay. section. Okay. So um, I'm going to give you a couple facts. I'm going to ask you some questions as well. All right. So one of the facts is that in Colorado, there's been a 12% increase in the parents wanting like to learn more about online schools mm. from the uh, Colorado Connections Academy, which is, um, I think, related to the like a, a sister part of the group that Nicolette works for. Oh, cool. So I thought that was really fascinating that they had the data already of mm-hmm. like yeah. people that are interested. Um, and then here's a question. Are you ready? Okay. Did you know that guest speakers join in the online learning process? That guest speakers join? Mm-hmm. Mm, no, but I guess that makes sense. I mean, I've been a guest speaker in online learning, so. That's true. You yeah. just were like recently. Yeah. So what about it? So um, I asked Nicolette, like, hey, talk about that. That's really interesting. I didn't even think about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, she said that she's had anthropologists come in, mm. uh, local es- experts in what they're talking about. Mm. Um, so maybe uh, she mentioned something about Stonewall, like people that were uh, oh. at museums mm-hmm. that wanted to get in and help out with uh, the learning. That's cool. Um, social group leaders. Mm. Yeah. So it was basically all about, like, showing more of the facts to the kids. Mm. Like, other than, oh, here, read this or, you know, learn this it's mm-hmm. like here's also the perspective from someone that's a a viable source that's kind of cool and i bet it's a lot easier for for teachers to get guest speakers to come in and give their time to because when you're in a physical classroom you know that's like at least a half a day now you gotta mm-hmm. figure out you know getting to the physical school getting security clearance getting your stuff already getting set up in the classroom blah 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 Versus if you're just a virtual speaker, it could be a recorded video that you could do at night. If you're doing a live session, it could be over your lunch hour. Totally. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, So I also looked up more information about like who is getting impacted by um, like doing the online learning. Mm -hmm. So McKinsey and Company, they they specialize in um, strategy and management. Yep. Um, and consulting services. They created a report on estimates of like the COVID-19 and student learning in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was pretty recent too. I think it was uh, June 1st. Okay. Um, but what they found was, um, you know, a lot of like different communities were being affected by this. Mm-hmm. And they ran some estimates of kind of what that would look like. Mm. So according to this report, what groups were most affected by the learning uh, loss due to the school closures? I'm guessing underrepresented communities. So people of color, people in lower socioeconomic communities. Dang. All right. Did you read this? No, but I mean, (laughs) looking at the way that America is structured, that would only make sense. Yeah. So you are correct. Low income, black and Latinx Hispanic students Mm -hmm. were most affected. Mm -hmm. So according to that um, estimate as well, how many months does McKinsey and company estimate that black students could fall behind? Ooh, gosh. 
I'm guessing it's got to be a big number. Otherwise, you wouldn't bother asking. So six months. Nope. More? Yep. Ten. Ten point three. Wow. So yeah. almost a full year. Yes. Wow. Crazy, right? And there that is that estimate basically saying from like just this current period that we've been through, they're yep. estimating that like that demographic could potentially be 10 months behind just from this current period that we've been through. It's from if, yeah, if, uh, similar to that, yeah. like the, the, basically the, the school year that's just ended. Yeah. The, the school year that recording. got cut off early. Got it. And then missing it. And then you even talked about like the percentage of drop dropout rates that could mm. probably happen. Crazy. Um, how about for Latino Latinx and Hispanic students? What do you think that number is? How many months? Mm, also has to be high. Otherwise you wouldn't ask. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say I'll start low again. Six. Nope. Higher. Yep. Is it higher than 10? Nope. Okay. So eight. 9.2. Okay. 9.2 months that they could possibly fall behind. Wow. And this was a could. It wasn't like they're all going to do it, but right. it's still like eye opening. Um, and, you know, for me personally, it was devastating to learn this, um, you know, just because I've been working to, you know, on focusing on diversity and inclusion, mm-hmm. especially like with Latino or Latinx and a black community, mm-hmm. um, you know, trying to get them in the tech industry because right. the representation is super lacking. Yeah. Very low. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, I found that pretty interesting. Yeah. Because it's, it's, uh, it's all like a domino effect, right? You get students behind or disinterested in education early and it demotivates you for other things later in life too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what are some obstacles that lower income students would be facing? I think probably all the things that Nick mentioned in the, her in our interview segment with her, uh, access to internet, access mm-hmm. to technology that mm-hmm. uh, teachers assume every child probably has, um, more people in the household, lack mm-hmm. of a dedicated space to do their work, probably lack of a lunch program. That's something that we didn't talk about with Nick, but you know that's come up with uh, other discussions of people we know about a lunch program, about you know the schools are still providing a lunch program, for example, um, yeah. outside of a, a physical classroom. So probably a lot of things like that contribute too. Yeah, you nailed, like you hit the nail on the head with that. Yeah, devices that they don't need to share, high-speed internet, parental academic supervision, mm-hmm. uh, quiet spaces with minimal distractions. Right, yeah. Yep. All that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one thing you just mentioned was about the like the lunch, which mm-hmm. is really interesting. So I asked Nicolette, like, hey, we didn't get any call outs or um, special shout outs that, you know, you uh, could make. And mm-hmm. like, let me know of one, maybe something that can help kids that are in this virtual situation. Right. And they're not able to, you know, fully be where they need to be. And she said to shout out Colorado Children's Campaign mm. because they provide lunch for kids, partner with school districts, and advocate for underprivileged kids in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for the listeners, you can go to coloradokids.org slash donate, and you can donate um, some money towards that. Mm. Yeah, I think that's something that we don't uh, really think about enough in our communities, about the fact that, you know, there is such a large portion of children in our communities that are getting at least one meal a day from the school lunch program Mm -hmm. and you know when you're when you are a child who no longer is going to a physical location and maybe you don't have access to get transportation to that location to pick it up yourself what are you doing for food now yeah so yeah that's something that uh i think we've we've talked about a lot offline off of this you know podcast Mm -hmm. um but I think it's something that, uh, as communities, we should really be paying attention to, too, is about, you know, we have funds that do that for kids while they're in school, but we shouldn't be turning our backs on our neighbors when they're not in a physical building. So, Totally. Yeah. 
And that's all I have for What the Facts this week. Cool. Those are some good ones. I mean, they weren't our usual typical kind of zany What the Facts, but Mm -hmm. those were good, good stats and good important stuff. Yeah. Eye-opening things. Yeah, definitely. Well, this was really interesting. It was really good to learn more about uh, Nicolette, your sister, Mm -hmm. and um, more precisely what she does in her career. All I really knew is that she was kind of a history teacher. Yeah, me too. (laughs) So this was really cool to kind of delve in and see how... The classroom is different, both physically and virtually. It's definitely different from when we were in school. Oh yeah. So, and I'm really glad that uh, to hear that she's helping out people, like mm-hmm. giving that time and uh, helping. I think that's something that runs in our family. Yeah, absolutely. That's really cool. Yeah. All right. So. Well, thanks to Nicolette for spending time and talking to us. Uh, sorry this took so long to get out into uh, out live, but better late than never. <laughs> and uh, thank you so much to all the teachers out there who are really trying their best uh, and did a great job this school year. I know it was really, really hard, but I know all the parents appreciate it and mm-hmm. the kids appreciate it. Yeah. So well done. Hang in there. So hopefully it won't take us like how many months was it? Like 10? nine, nine, ten, nine months for the next episode. Yeah, that I was mean, a bit ridiculous. Steve keeps shooting down all my ideas. So you okay. can blame him. that's not true. I shoot down your ideas when you want to start them at like 11 p.m. <laughs> And I have to work the next morning. I have to work too. Okay. Well, we can start them earlier. Okay. Great. Well, then 6 a.m. it is. Anyway. (laughs) All right. Well, as always, music for the show is by Adi Goldstein and Dimitri Banoff with vocals for our opening theme song by Chad Conselmo. Thanks, Chad. Thanks, everybody, for sticking with us. Sorry it's been nine months, but uh, thanks for liking and subscribing and all that stuff. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks, Mom. Bye. Bye. Coming soon. A Zoom call near you. Oh, God. That's depressing. <laughs> oh, that sounds terrible. It's just so terrible. <laughs> oh, oh, boy.